They are ambitious. They are supporters. They are hustlers. They champion other women. They are boss babes. The Ottawa Valley is full of boss babes, and I'm here to tell you who they are. Calling all Laurentian Valley business owners. Laurentian Valley Township has partnered up with Digital Main Street Squad team to help create, support, and empower business owners. The Digital Service Squad is a free resource to help your business build an online presence so that you can promote and sell successfully online. They will assess your business and provide recommendations on how to enhance your digital capabilities. Take advantage of this free service as it's only offered for a limited amount of time. Learn more at lvtownship.ca Digital Service Squad. Hello, 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 and welcome to the OB Boss Babes podcast. This babe is a local business owner in Laurentian Valley who knows a thing or two about the body, knows where your stress points are, and will work out the kinks in all the right areas. She's also a wife and a mother who will tell you that she's done having kids, but isn't necessarily done caring them for others who might be struggling with fertility or just unable to have children of their own. Yes, that's right. In addition to all her other roles and titles, including RMT. She is also a surrogate, selflessly helping those complete their families and is encouraging and educating other women to do the same. Please welcome Kristen Fisher, registered massage therapy and acupuncture to the podcast. Hey, Holly, how's it going? Good, Kristen. Long time no see. It's yes, been a it's hot been, minute. It's been a while, that's for sure. Yes, I remember actually coming to your location multiple times to, you know, get massages. My husband would come to back when Rachel uh, was one of your business partners. So it's been a yes. long time. Yes, it's been a while. Uh, Rachel, she's moved, uh, was posted to Borden. So she's been gone for a little while now. We definitely miss her. I'm very hopeful she'll get posted back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you've had some turnover in your team, which we are going to talk about. But before we get into your business specifically, I want to know, Kristen, are you a born and raised Valley girl? Did you relocate here from another part of Canada? Yeah, I've lived in Ontario in a lot of places my whole life. But um, we've been here now. My husband's posted to Garrison Petawawa. So we've been here for eight and a half years. And before that, I've just been in other places in Perry Sound. And I grew up in Napanee. It's not from the area, but we've been here a little while now. Oh my goodness. Okay. So male spouse then too. We'll add that title to the, to the Yeah, list. exactly. It's a title in itself. <laughs> um, so I did mention that you are a registered massage therapist. And yeah. for those that don't know where you're located, you're in the Oakland Plaza, right across from the Murphy Ford dealership in Laurentian Valley. And there are two other RMTs that work with you, but formerly it was Fisher Copeland. And then it was Fisher Copeland uh, Lavi RMT, which was yourself, Jolene Copeland and Morgan uh, Lavi. I hope I'm saying her name right. She's, yes. uh, I go to her actually quite often because she's right in Petawawa. Yes. Shout out to Morgan. Um, now, where is Jolene? So uh, Jolene and I worked together at a bigger clinic and we, I left and started this on my own. Then when it got so busy, I asked Jolene if she wanted to join me and that's where she came in. She was here for quite a few years with me and has now moved back home to help out some of her elderly family. So she's more in the Oak Ridge area now, again, still working for herself in a similar type of clinic. Morgan has, when she was here, great, fantastic young lady came from the East Coast. Uh, but again, her house is in Petawawa. She lives in, you know, everything's in Petawawa. It made more sense for her to direct into that side of the world. There's not enough RMTs here at all anyways. So it's great when people can learn to be self-employed 
and then find their location that suits their lifestyle the best. You said that there's not enough RMTs, Kristen, but that's surprising no, not me at because all. I feel like there are so many. Every time you go on Google and you're seeing, you're going through the list, but there's a shortage around here. There is a long wait list to get in for massage therapy. And it's because when you work at a larger clinic, you're limited to the hours that you can work. You're basically told this is when you can work and this is how many clients in a day. But the facility we have set up here, everybody is a partnership, whoever comes and goes. There's no contract. It's set up for perhaps military spouses or transient people. We all just are business partners, but you can set your own schedule. So it's not unlike me to see 13 clients in one day and work six days a week. That is what I like to do. And other people, though, would rather see three clients a day, four days a week. So it, it all depends on the therapist individually and what they want to be doing. Right. And I guess it's also really difficult to, to find RMTs that offer evening and weekend availability, which is actually, you guys do offer that though. Yeah. We're open seven days a week. There's availability usually seven days a week and we are open in the evenings. So we're very flexible with our clients, especially teachers. They can't get out of their workday to come for massage. Um, Military, it's hard for them to get out to have these types of medical appointments. So we do try to work with the community that we're within. Oh, that's great. That is, I mean, and that's a benefit to you guys too, because like I said, not many um, RMTs offer that service, you know, the extended service into the evenings and on weekends or on Sundays. Yeah, exactly. That's You'll my never, favorite day to work. Busiest I was going to say, yeah, yeah. I, I would say that actually you guys probably, if I'm not mistaken, are the only massage therapy place that, you know, you can actually get an appointment on a Sunday. Yeah, I do believe we are as well. And that's probably why it is so popular. But if you can work on a Sunday, and take off a Wednesday, it, it's really nice to get your appointments done. On yes, week. that's right. Now, what made you want to embark on this career path? So I used to be a funeral director. I did that for seven years. Um, and I did pathology assisting. So I helped with autopsies. But the weirdest part was I worked at a funeral home where the husband and the wife lived upstairs. It was an old grocery store. And he was a funeral director and she was a massage therapist. So they designed the front of the building that one door went into the massage therapy clinic, one door went into the funeral home, but we all shared a staff room. (laughs) So a lot of the people I got to know and meet were registered massage therapists. So when I knew that uh, funeral services wasn't really my passion for life anymore and the job I wanted to continue, I went back to school for registered massage therapy in Kingston. Yeah, Kristen, I can't see you doing that. You're just... You're too much of a people person. Yeah, but the education, doing an autopsy, you learn so much about human anatomy and it's actually really neat to see how the body functions. To me, that's a really cool, it was, it was a great stepping stone to where I am now. That's interesting. Okay, now I wish I have a podcast to talk all about that because that's always so interesting. The only person that I've ever known, you know, to conduct an autopsy, actually, I shouldn't say that the only show I've ever seen was the haunting on Hill house. And one of the characters there, you know, was, um, was a funeral director and, and she performed the autopsy, I think like right in her own home too. But like I said, that's another podcast for another day. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so massage therapy is more than just giving someone a massage on their back, right? Like it involves, yeah. like you said, learning about the body, it's mechanics, and understanding how posture can affect aches and pains and its relation yes. to pathology. So why is receiving a massage more than just providing someone with a therapeutic and relaxing experience? Yeah, our scope of practice says that massage therapy is to assess and treat the soft tissues of the body. So muscles, ligaments, tendons, 
to help relieve pain and dysfunction. That's essentially what we do. So to break that down, in school, we learn the 11 systems of the human body. So cardiovascular, urinary, muscular, skeletal. There's 11. We learn how massage can relate to those 11 systems and how we can help people with any dysfunction related to them. So a lymphatic treatment for drainage, pregnancy massage, um, runners, people that have tension in, in muscles that need to be worked out. There's a lot involved in what we do. It might not look like it at the surface as we are just, okay, we're putting our hands on you and we're moving some tissue around. But what we're really trying to do is find those dysfunctions in the body, help people maintain proper posture, get some blood flow to areas that might not be getting it to help a muscle relax better. There's a, there's a lot involved that we learn. It just doesn't appear like it when you're getting the massage. Now, Kristen, what are the benefits to the body for getting a massage specifically for health reasons? So if, if you had just finished a race or you're going into a race as a runner, we have lots of runners around here, moving that lactic acid around and helping your body just get rid of the stuff it doesn't need anymore and helping the nutritional value of the blood get back to where it's supposed to be. Alignment, we see people in this job anywhere from ones that sit at a desk all day and have neck and strain problems. Um, I personally do intraoral work and TMJ work is my specialty. I have a coworker that does phenomenal abdominal muscles and the work she does on that, but it just depends on what the person's coming in for. Now, we also know about relaxation massages, which can be offered by those that aren't registered or have any massage therapy education, which we usually can find at a day spa. But what is the difference between a relaxation massage and a massage offered by an RMT? Insurance is essentially what it comes down to. So every registered massage therapist in Ontario is required to carry personal liability insurance. So if you were turning over on my table and you fell off and broke your arm, I have coverage to deal with that situation. Or if I dislodged a deep vein thrombosis in your leg and it ultimately killed you, that is all why I have my education and my insurance policy versus someone at a day spa who doesn't really know what they're doing, could have learned their techniques on YouTube. They don't have any protection for the client. So the client themselves is hopeful that they're just going to feel good when they walk away and have no problems to follow, where when we're registered, we, we have the added protection that we do know what we're doing, we're confident in what we're doing, but if something goes wrong, we can help protect the client, the client's family as well hopefully you're not having anybody rolling off tables on you. So far, so good. <laughs> oh. Well, Kristen, I've received several massages from you in particular, and it was during one of them. And I want to say it was around 2017 or 2018 uh, that you were pregnant. Now, yes. I remember asking you the usual questions like how far along you were and how you were feeling. And I asked if this was your first, second or third baby. And you said that you were a surrogate. Yes, Absolutely. Now, I was really intrigued because I never met a surrogate before, and I had so many questions for you that I ended up talking your ear off for the rest of my massage, and you're actually pregnant again. You're 34 weeks. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. Yep, okay. 34 weeks. Carrying another baby for another family. Absolutely. So I have two kids of my own. They're six and eight. They're fantastic, but I would never bring home another keeper. Uh, my husband has four biological children of his own. Two's plenty for me. Our house is full. So I learned about surrogacy and this is my third surrogate baby, my third surrogate journey. Okay. So when did you initially start? In 2018, that must've been my first one. Uh, 
my oldest surrogate baby is three and a half years old right now. And the one I'm carrying now is actually the sibling to that one. So I'm completing this family um, in particular, but I've had one in between as well. Uh, So it would have been around there that I started having surrogate babies. So how did you get into surrogacy then? And what made you originally decide that you wanted to even become a surrogate? So I'm a very science-minded person. um, And to me, the definition of being a surrogate in Ontario is a woman who agrees to carry an embryo for a different family or for someone else that is not genetically related to the carrier. So it's never my egg. So essentially I'm babysitting for nine months and then I'm handing the baby over. (laughs) It's to me, there's no emotional connection to the baby. It's not mine. I I would like to say that's probably the easiest babysitting you'll do for a child, but it's it's not in a way because of all the additional um, pregnancy hormones and the weight that you're carrying and everything like that too. Um, it's not, it's not for everybody. And it's based on the fact that my two pregnancies that I had for myself were relatively great. There was nothing wrong with them. No major consequences. I've been a registered massage therapist through all of my pregnancies. So I know that I'm able to work and carry a baby at the same time without much interference to either. So for me, it suits my lifestyle quite well. Okay. Well, you're very much like me. I had um, I had one baby that went full term and, and absolutely never even would have known I was pregnant. I felt great. I didn't even yeah. start showing till I was like 22, 23 weeks. Um, I did get pregnant again and unfortunately miscarried um, almost around the 20 week mark. But same thing as that never felt any, any different or anything. So I'm hoping fingers crossed that when we get pregnant again, um, we go through the same thing. Cause there's, you know, I, it sucks when you can't really, I mean, I don't want to say it sucks because it's great for us, but it sucks for others. You're like, what? You don't have any symptoms. Yeah. I, so far so good. I mean, we're number five in and we're still kicking. So it's all that matters. Now, how did you initially, I mean, you talked about how you wanted to become a surrogate, but like, was there someone that you talked to? Was there a family? So, um, because this is a military community and in one one way the transient people that come and go in a community are phenomenal uh, there's actually a lot of surrogates here this is a community based around babies between the midwives the, the military and families there's a lot of babies born here so surrogacy actually suits the community really well and the hospital has adapted quite well to accommodate these surrogacy pregnancies so it's very common in this area um, to reach out and find a surrogate or someone who's been one, it's not too hard if you know the right people to ask, but essentially everyone can get lost in the world of Google trying to figure out how to become a surrogate. So my husband had actually known a lady who was military, who was a surrogate, and that's the person I originally had contacted to answer more of my questions that I had. Okay, well, you mentioned your husband who had found this lead for you. Now, how did you have that conversation with your husband, Kristen, to say, I want to do this. How, like, what was his response to? He was perfectly fine with it. I mean, our family we knew was complete. And a lot of people actually ask me, how did I convince my husband to let me be a surrogate? And I look at that very differently, that it was not his choice at all. It was, hey, this is what I'm doing mm-hmm. and have fun with it. So <laughs> um, being that your spouse does get involved in the process in small ways, like you sign contracts and they have to be screened as well so that they understand that this is not our baby and we're not keeping it. Um, so there is that back and forth that does need to happen with your spouse. Mine was on board with it the whole time. He knows I'm stubborn enough. If I say I'm going to do something, 
he's just gonna let me go with it so yeah. it worked out well so how did you end up finding your first family then so uh, I've always gone through an agency and that is the first and foremost best way to become a surrogate is always go through an agency when you go through a specific organization that's set up for surrogacy, they already know everything they need to do. They know what the contracts need to say. They know how to get you in touch with another family. So um, after you fill out a profile and you do some initial conversations with the surrogacy agency, then they will send you families that you can pick from. So as the surrogate, you pick the family you work with. Some people would pick what, you know, would prefer a male couple um, who have an egg donor and one of them is typically the genetics of the other half of the baby. Um, I like families that are overseas because I work so much that I don't want somebody who lives locally that wants to come to all my doctor's appointments mm. because I just don't have time to multi-manage off that. Yes. Yeah. Um, but you get to pick as the surrogate, you choose the family. Sometimes it's a single male in their forties who just never found a significant other. And this is to them, the one way that they can have a genetic baby of their own. Um, for whatever reason people need or want a surrogate, but you get to filter through the profiles on who suits you the best. Very interesting. Now, what are some important factors to consider? Like I'm assuming age is one of them. Um, I'm assuming you can't be a smoker or have any major health issues, but what others? Um... So as long as you're between the age of 21 and 49, you can be a surrogate. Uh, that the 49 is a cutoff by the agencies. I think, I don't think that's a hard set number. Um, you don't have to have had children of your own. It just depends personally on the situation. I have met a surrogate who did not have any of her own children and had no interest in her own children, but was helping more like people she knew to be able to carry a baby. Um, as long as you're healthy and that you've had some experience ideally with pregnancy and you know, you can do it. I've seen some surrogates though have six C-sections and at some point doctors are saying you gotta stop or women that maybe don't shed off all of the pounds between babies and they're doing it more as a lifestyle. There's times that you just have to step back and say should I be doing this right now and is this suited me and my body style and my is this the time? Mm -hmm. Otherwise if you're up for it it's, it's a great opportunity. Now, you said you don't use your own eggs and that you receive an egg from a, yeah. from a sperm donor or from the family? Yeah. So if it's a, for instance, I've carried for a couple before where the female was born without a uterus. So she had her own eggs, but physically could not carry her own baby. So between her and her husband, genetically, it's a hundred percent their baby. They just couldn't carry it. Yeah. So getting the embryos created and then having in vitro to become a surrogate from the get-go it's it's 100 theirs so how long does the process take because you mentioned in vitro so ivf yep. obviously that is how um it would be situated inside you um but what's the process like to get pregnant like do you have to kind of monitor your ovulation window and everything like that too no it's actually much easier than that to be the surrogate um to be the egg donor i'm not 100 percent sure about that process so to, to retrieve the eggs but once the surrogate is involved it's pretty straightforward when was the last day of your first period they tell you okay this is the window of time we'll start these medications you start some oral medications and some injections you basically for most surrogate journeys you're injecting yourself in the glute region for up to 14, 15 weeks daily with progesterone, progesterone and, and then you're taking estrogen and other things on the side. 
a lot of medication the first three months, <laughs> but um, the whole process of getting pregnant isn't that bad. It's only maybe a month before where you start those medications that you need to take. Then the in vitro is no longer than a pap test <laughs> and then you're good to go. Now, does the process automatically work every time? So I like to think that if you want to be a surrogate, do not get stressed out. I find and I think that stress is the major factor why an, an embryo wouldn't stick as well as other times. So you take a lot of things so that your body will accept an embryo that's foreign to you. Um, but stress is a huge factor that if you're kind of just going with the flow and you're open to the idea, it, it seems to work better. I've had one failed attempt, but three successful on the first try. So as a surrogate, you sign up knowing that they might not all work the first time around. They might work and fail. Uh, but whatever it is, you, you know going into it that you've probably signed up for four attempts with this family to try to make an embryo stick. Oh, okay. Well, that's really great that you've only had one unsuccessful yep. transfer. Yeah, it's it's been a really good process so far. Oh, that's awesome. Now, I've read that there's a higher chance of getting pregnant with twins through IVF. Now, do they put more than one embryo in for a family who's maybe hoping for twins? So interestingly enough, in the States, there is, I believe, no cap to the number. So we all know about the woman that had octuplets, and everybody's crazy amazed that this woman had eight babies to my understanding, she had like 16 embryos implanted. So she knew what she was signing up for. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in Canada, the max we put in is two. And even then we typically only put in one because these embryos are typically tested at that stage to see that they are a very good quality embryo. So the odds of them splitting is very high or higher than not. Um, and I have seen a surrogate carry two embryos that have split into triplets. So I don't know that I would be willing to gamble three or four babies to carry at a time. So one embryo is plenty for me each time, hoping that they don't turn into twins. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least the good thing is that even if you were carrying twins, it wouldn't be you going home with them at the end of the day, knowing that you'd have an extra two to look after. But shout out to all women with twins. I have no idea how they manage. That no. is that is survival instinct right there. That's not even parenting. So good on them. I, I could never have done that. I agree. My husband is really hoping that we get twins this next time around. I'm like, are you going to be the one to deliver them? Are you going to be the one to stay at home with them? No, I don't think yeah, so. You get the 18 months off. I'm going back to work. That's Absolutely. Right. <laughs> um, okay, Chris. And so we have to talk about expenses because yes. being a surrogate in Canada um, is very different than being a surrogate in the States, which many people won't, might not know that. Yeah. So in the States, you can literally pay somebody outright to be a surrogate. You could say, you know, I'll, I'll pay you 20,000, I'll pay you 50,000, whatever the amount is, but I believe it counts as income. So it's tax, you know, you have to claim that as income on your taxes. Um, but in Canada, we have the Assisted Human Reproductions Act, which was made in 2004 and updated actually last year in 2020. And in that, it very clearly outlines that uh, if I wanted a surrogate, I can't just put on my Facebook page, hey, looking for a surrogate willing to pay $30,000. You can't advertise that way that you're going to pay somebody. But in Canada, we get our expenses reimbursed. So there's always a contract. There should always be a contract. And it very clearly lays out how much reimbursement you're going to get. And there are two forms. There's out-of-pocket expenses and there's reimbursement for living expenses. So the out-of-pocket, every medical appointment that you have, every you know trip you have to take, all the medication, all of that is covered for you. Um, 
typically the in vitro clinics are in Toronto or Montreal. So if you have to stay overnight at a hotel, all those expenses are covered in the process of becoming pregnant. During the pregnancy, again, your travel expenses, all of those things, medications are covered. And then on top of that, there is reimbursement for a living allowance, essentially. And that's all broken down in your contract. So walking into it, you know exactly how much you're going to be reimbursed aside from your out-of-pocket expenses. Okay. Well, thank you so much for clarifying that because I know when we watch movies and I'm such a big movie buff, I always reference movies in my podcast. Like one of my favorite movies is Baby Mama with Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. And, and yes, that was what, movie. yeah. Love it. I could watch that millions and millions of times, but that's one thing, you know, that we saw that Amy Poehler was in it, you know, for the money and, and, you know, you just heard about, um, Tina Fey's character going to this clinic, you know, the surrogate clinic and, and forking over all this money. So I think it's really important, you know, to not believe everything you see in the movies and especially for Canadians to not think that, you know, Oh, becoming a surrogate, you're going to get a big paycheck at the end of this. The other interesting part about how, how it works is you actually, get your reimbursement. So it's tax-free money because it is under the category of reimbursement, but you get it allotted to you throughout the pregnancy. So they also take into consideration that you've probably signed the contract and agreed to be a surrogate probably three months before you actually get pregnant. So there's that term of time, the entire pregnancy, and then some postpartum time that's all included in that reimbursement. Thanks for tuning in to the OV Boss Babes podcast. We're going to take a few minutes to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Century 21 has been a staple in the Pembroke of Petawawa area for over 45 years. At Century 21 Aspire Realty, many of our agents are born and raised right here in the Ottawa Valley. We also have close ties with the military community, having agents that are past military members and some that are military spouses. This helps to give us an in-depth understanding of the demands of the military lifestyle and the nuances of frequent relocation. Here at Century 21 Aspire Realty, we are committed to putting the client's needs first. Our agents work hard to act in a manner that is fair and ethical, as well as safe and practical. We are currently experiencing a seller's market like we have never seen before. If you are thinking of selling your property, call us first. Our social media campaigns are the best in the business. We offer professional photography, 3D home tours, and social media promotions across several platforms. Whether you are considering buying or selling, any one of our Century 21 Aspire Realty agents would be happy to assist you in the process. Check us out at www.aspirerealty.c21.ca or give us a call at 613-687-1687. Amanda Talker Media helps entrepreneurs and small business owners in the Ottawa Valley grow by gaining confidence through strategic branding, photography, and social media marketing. Her services include brand identity, brand photography and videography, social media marketing, and so much more. Amanda has teamed up with HA Video Productions to offer their social media workshops and other great services. It's time to add some fresh, creative content to your feed. Get in touch with Amanda on Facebook or Instagram at amandatalker.media to help you capture, market, and showcase your brand on all platforms. We know that seeking counseling support can seem overwhelming, but the therapists at Forging Forward Counseling Services 
truly believe one's mental well-being is just as important as one's physical health. Our private practice offers a variety of counseling services to meet your changing needs, including supports for individuals, professionals, couples, and families using a multifaceted, client-focused approach. We fully support inclusion and welcome people of all ages, races, ethnicities, range of abilities, religions, sexual orientations, gender identities, and socioeconomic backgrounds to reach out for services when they are ready. Our growing team of therapists would be honored to walk with you and your family side by side as you are forging forward, finding new ways to deal with life's many challenges. Our counselors will guide you towards defining your customizable therapy goals and work with you to develop coping strategies that you can bring along with you on your journey to enhance resiliency, overcome obstacles, and improve relationships. If we do not have the right experience or qualifications to meet your needs, we will direct you to community resources who can. Please visit www.forgingforward.ca forward slash appointments or call us at 613-631-1097 to book a consultation. We are only a click of a button or a phone call away. It's Victoria from Valley Clay, a locally owned and operated clay jewelry business in the Ottawa Valley. Check out our unique clay pieces on our Facebook page at Valley Clay Trinkets and Treasures or on our Instagram page at valley.clay. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Um, okay, Kristen, so other than the well-known standards of being pregnant include taking prenatal vitamins, not smoking or drinking, limiting caffeine, are there any other rules that you have to follow or can the surrogate parents request certain things of you? Like, please don't eat McDonald's or do not drink pop. Yeah. So again, in that contract, actually the last page of your contract typically stipulates try to avoid or do not eat or consume. And there can be a little back and forth with that. Um, some surrogates will still drink, you know, a, a cup of tea maybe every day or whatever, but typically it says, you know, avoid unpasteurized foods and avoid this and do, don't do that. And it's very clearly laid out on sort of what you're agreeing to while you're pregnant. And that's all based on what science has told us. So my husband, he's from England. To him, having a glass of wine, that's normal when you're pregnant in England, but that's not normal here. So that would be one of those things not to do in the contract. Yeah, It just depends what it says. And there is some wiggle room in the paperwork with, with the other parents. You can discuss things that suit or don't suit your lifestyle and you can get that agreed to before the contracts are signed. Okay. Very interesting. Um, now I hate bringing this up, Kristen, and this is not something that, you know, no it's never an easy topic, but surrogate or not, there's always a chance of miscarriage or pregnancy complications. And obviously no pregnancy is ever guaranteed. Um, because you've been pregnant for the past three years, I'm assuming that this hasn't happened to you. Um, but being a surrogate, how would you have that conversation with the family? So in Canada, you get paid monthly. So you get paid as you go is your reimbursements for your living expenses. So if something were to happen at the four month mark and you were to lose the baby, there is also a life insurance policy that as a surrogate, I have to carry. So if something happened to me and the baby, the family would also be listed in the life insurance policy to reimburse some of their expenses of this journey they've been on. But if something only happened to the baby at four months, 
as a surrogate, I was reimbursed up to that point. So it's not all or nothing at the end. It's you're still treated fairly throughout the process. But that being said, I have not miscarried any surrogate babies. I do know very close people to me from the area that have. Um, that's a conversation. The other part about going through an agency, you personally don't have to have those conversations about finances, expenses, miscarriages, um, positive pregnancy tests. It can all go through a third party so that you don't have to be the one to do that. This is a very contracted position. So it can be treated very much, very stern, very, very to the T contract, or you can have a little more of a personal relationship with the family. But at the end of the day, if I wasn't comfortable telling my family and I didn't know all the details, I would want it to go through the doctor and the agency for the family to hear and then follow up later. Mm -hmm. I feel like that conversation would be so difficult and it would, at least that having the contract route alleviates a little bit of stress off you, but regardless, we're still humans. We're still emotional and, and yep. discovering that. And what I, what I've learned though, is some of the surrogates, they've never miscarried at all. And then to have the added pressure of I'm doing this for someone else. And then to feel that you've disappointed them, mm -hmm. they take it very hard. It's, it is that emotional attachment and, and that's really hard. So then you have to make sure that the surrogate understands that, you know, this happens, it's okay. And they have to be treated in a way as well that they're protected down the road. And then the family knew going into it, it's always a gamble, but for both parties, they do need to probably seek out a little bit of counseling or a third party for a short time, just to make sure they're mentally okay with what, what, what went down. Okay. Let's bring this back up to a positive note. How many surrogate babies are you allowed to carry? Like, is there a cutoff date for how old you can be or how many babies you deliver? Yeah. So the legislation says you have to be at least 21, but there's no cutoff date. Typically, the agencies say 49 is, is a give or take. Um, but in your lifetime, it's whatever you're comfortable with. So if I was a young mother um, and I had some children between 16 and 25 and I knew my family was complete, I could start at 27, 28, 30 to become a surrogate. There's no number that we are told your body can handle. It's literally individually based. So as long as you're not to the point of so many C-sections that you physically can't do them anymore or your body is able to have babies no one can tell you when to stop unless a doctor is saying hey this is enough for you mm -hmm. um but back in the day people would have 10 to 12 children of their own for their families so we have to look at it that we're designed to have babies it's just up to each person how many they're gonna have <laughs> yeah yeah no that's awesome um okay so you deliver baby you've passed them over what happens afterwards now? Do you have open or close communication with the parents and families? So I've actually learned, this is a funny question to ask. I've actually learned that the answer to that is super dependent on the family themselves and where they're from in the world. So I um, purposely don't sign up to have future contact with the family. And it's not important to me to have that. Because I have to look at it from their side that if I was unable to have a child and I relied on somebody else to do this, do I want to feel that I owe them a favor for a lifetime? It, that's where the contract to me comes in. It, it's very much cut and paste. Here's your baby. I agreed to do this for you. If you want to move on and pretend this never happened and, and not talk to your child about it, I'm okay with that. But what I've learned is other countries of the world don't actually allow that to happen. So for example, 
if you had a baby from Norway, Norway doesn't recognize surrogacy. So the process after a baby is born in Canada for a Norwegian family is that the baby is born and the birth certificate is always given to the baby as a Canadian birth certificate. So they are Canadian citizens and then they have to get their passport and then they have to go back to their country. So the parents, the, the intended parents are listed on the birth certificate. My name is not even on there at all. So there's no ties to me, but in Norway, they have to get their passport. You have to, as the surrogate, my husband and I would have to go down to the embassy with the father, the genetic father and the baby. So the genetic father and the baby would take a DNA test to prove to the Norwegian embassy that they are related. My husband has to sign a piece of paper saying that he's okay with me signing that I'm okay with the genetic father to take the baby back to Norway. And then the genetic mother has to apply for an adoption from me for her own genetic baby. Really? So one more layer to that is in Norway, I believe they have a law that states if your baby or child is adopted, when they're old enough to understand why you need to explain it to them. So babies adopted technically. So now they have to say, oh, by the way, you were adopted through a surrogacy process. Mm -hmm. So to them, it, it is important to have that open communication just to be in touch with you. And, and that's perfectly fine as well, but I don't expect it from any family ever. Uh, it's just kind of a give and take. As long as you, you walk into it with your profile, having no expectations or, or being very clear where I want a relationship with you or I want no contact with you, mm -hmm. find yourself a matching surrogate family who has the same interests. Yeah. I like that approach. No, that's good. But I mean, it definitely makes sense with the way that Norway does it, you know, I mean, not completely. I don't, I, I can't wrap my head fully around <laughs> it's that. It's very but, strange. Yeah. But in Canada, so for instance, in Canada, it was funny you said hand the baby over. As a surrogate, I don't want to even have physical contact with the baby. I actually want the family to have everything to do with that child from the moment they cut the cord and onwards. And then if they want to include me after that point, that's fine. And if not, completely understood. There are some families, if it's in Canada, there's nothing stopping them that as soon as a doctor releases them from the hospital, they can go back to where they're from, Toronto, Vancouver, wherever. And the paperwork can all be signed via the lawyers. So they can have baby delivered as soon as it's okay, go back home. And then there's very, there might be very little contact between the surrogate and the intended parents ever again. But again, that's probably what they were all comfortable with at the time. I know you base a lot of this, Kristen, on a contract approach, which is, I think, I think it's very smart because then you know what you're going into, you know what needs to be done, but you're still, it's still your motherly instincts, right? You still have that emotional support because you've carried this child for nine yes. months. So, so the funniest thing that's ever happened to me is I had a baby for a family and probably two weeks after the baby was born, a week after the baby was born, you always wonder what it's like to hear that baby cry because you're wondering how will that pull on my emotions? Mm -hmm. And I, we're sitting in the driveway, just talking. So myself and the intended, like the father and the mother was doing what all of us mothers do. Baby is crying. She's caught him in the car seat in the back of the car. And she's glaring at the father to like, okay, hurry this conversation along. Baby's crying to shut the doors. I want to go yeah. home. And I, I just laughed because it didn't affect me at all. I never even noticed he was crying. And it was really cool for me to acknowledge that moment and say, 
this is not my baby. Mm -hmm. This is her baby. And she is fully mama bear instincts from the moment she first held him. And it was awesome to see that she just took that on and latched to that baby. And it was her brain that's affected, not mine. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I mean, with the crying though, would you, because your, your milk does come in. Yeah. We still have to deal with that. I mean, back in the eighties, I believe there was a pill you could take, or sorry, an injection you could take to prevent your milk from coming in. Unfortunately, we nowadays, I don't think that's an option anymore. So you still have to deal with all of that postpartum, but it's a lot easier when you don't have a baby to look after. I can literally have a baby get released from the hospital and go home and sleep for a week and recover. It's phenomenal. (laughs) But you know, it's, it's a really neat way to look at it, that it's an annoyance mostly for the last four weeks, but then you're good. You're, you're just able to get back up again you don't have to worry about a baby on top of your family, on top of your job. You're just back to life. Yeah. Now you have two children of your own, like you said earlier, and I'm yep. curious, I mean, I know that they're older, but how yep. did you still explain to your kids, Kristen, what you were doing and to help them understand that? There are the some really, was? yeah, there's some really cool books. One is called the kangaroo pouch. And that's a book that you can read to kids and help them understand that this is just something I'm doing. Um, but as my kids started into school in their early years, um, Emmy would always draw pictures of me pregnant. Every picture she ever drew of me, I am pregnant. And there's always this like little alien baby in my big, huge belly. And I always told their teachers ahead of time, like, this is, you know, if a baby's born, like, it's not our baby, I'm a surrogate. Just so there wasn't any confusion that way between the ranks that, you know, oh, my mommy had a baby. Oh, what's your little brother or sister's name? Well, it's not. They Mm -hmm. know, they absolutely know that mommy has babies for other people. And when I had a baby for a male couple, they explained it to people that mommy and daddy are having a baby because they don't have a mummy. So to them, it's totally normal to have a male couple with babies and that it had to get here somehow. So the joke in the house now is when I get very noticeably pregnant, they're like, can you have a baby for us next time? (gasps) No, like when you're older, you can have your own babies. And it only takes a couple of days being around a baby where they were they, they retract that statement. They're like, no, they're a lot of work, but they've always known that mommy has babies for other people. And they've always been fine with that. That's awesome. I think it's so important to have those conversations and just to be upfront with them too. I mean, you have to be, because yeah. at the end of the day, mommy's not coming home with a, another baby in the house. But um, I just think it's so important, you know, to have these conversations with kids so that they are aware and they're educated as well. And, and yeah. I mean, this is why we have to just bring, keep bringing awareness to, to surrogate moms here in the Valley too. Exactly. Yeah. There's, oh, there's such a need for surrogate families. But the other thing I usually get from people on the flip side is why are you being a surrogate when there's so many kids that can be adopted? That's a really touchy subject. Um, I understand both sides of it, but what people don't realize is it's almost impossible to adopt a child, especially in Canada. There's very limited opportunity to actually adopt someone. And so globally, there's other changes that have happened. China is now allowing families to have two kids. So now they can keep a female baby. Uh, There's a lot of shifts in the world right now where adoption is it's not possible. It's expensive. It's time consuming and it's not guaranteed. It's a very interesting other rabbit hole to go down. Mm -hmm. 
you're a business owner and like many business owners, you don't necessarily get a maternity leave, but what about surrogate mothers in maternity leave? Like, are they eligible for maternity leave benefits? As long as you have EI, so I'm self-employed, I'm not on the EI system, so I don't have maternity leave. But for instance, military members I know that are also surrogates, they're entitled to their sick leave leaving up to their pregnancy delivery date. And then they are entitled to, I believe, 15 weeks maternity leave post-delivery. So anyone who is an EI system or contributes to CPP, they do have a 15-week window afterwards for maternity leave for recovery. Perfect. All right, Kristen, my last question to you, how much longer do you plan on being a circuit for? Everyone asks me that question, and I never know the answer. It's all, it's so funny. It's always... I'll see how I feel and what opportunities arise. So I don't know if I'm done. I never know if I'm done. I just have to wing it. (laughs) I just never know. And how long have you gone actually in between these three pregnancies? My oldest surrogate baby is three and a half. Then there's a two and a half. And then I'm 34 weeks now. So it was almost two years between the last two. Um, And I do suggest that six months in between was technically enough for the doctor's sake, but when I look back at it, it was a little quick for baby to baby, but uh, yeah. I would say a year and a half between babies is, is great. You get, yeah. to get yourself back organized again and you're ready for another one. That's right. Oh, well, Kristen, I love chatting about this. I, I listened to another podcast. I'm a huge podcast buff and I was listening to another one. Uh, I, I can't remember what one it was and it was all about surrogacy. And I remember just thinking immediately, I know someone who's a surrogate. I need to get her on. So I'm so glad that you were able to to take the time to chat with me. And especially, like I said, you know, you being pregnant and being able to help yet another family. um, I just think it's just, it's so selfless and it's just so wonderful that you're doing this. Yes. Thank you. No, it's, it's an interesting path. I'm definitely glad I embarked in that journey on my life goals. Yeah. All right, Kristen. Well, before we wrap this up, we are going to slide into my rapid 10. Bunch of questions you don't know. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. You ready? Sure. Go for <laughs> let's, it. Let's do it. Okay. I'm really curious about this one. Why do massage therapists encourage their clients to drink lots of water after their massage? So the goal for the massage is to bring blood flow into areas that it was lacking. So into your quadricep muscles, huge body group that makes you more dehydrated. So we want you to drink some water to help flush out any of those lactic acids we've created and help to re re-nourish your body with fluid so that your blood flow can continue on as it's supposed to. Would you ever consider donating your eggs? No. So interesting. That is a cutoff at age 32. Um, To me, that's weird. Like to me, I would never be an egg donor or a kidney donor. Those people are a a league of their own. Um, It's just a, a different category in my brain that I've never considered. I know you said that you have booked 13 massages in one day, which is absolutely crazy. Um, But on a normal day, Kristen, how many clients will you generally book in? Probably five to seven. Yeah, that's a, that's enough long of a day, not yeah, can, yes. that's, that's burning yourself out. My hands would be You know what done. though, but some might only be 30 minutes and some might be an hour. I try not to do more than an hour at a time. I'm, I'm not a fan of the longer stretched out massages, but short and sweet, get to the point. I'm all for that. Now you gave me one of these in my, one of my formal massages with you, but you have to tell us about it. An intraoral massage. It is my specialty. So I work on the muscles around the jaw to decrease tension, which leads to clenching and grinding. Uh, It helps decrease headaches and neck pain. And it can be uh, the external muscles on the jaw, like the masseters, 
and temporalis, but sometimes it's nice to get inside the cheek line with gloves on and try to release some of those other muscles to help the jaw actually relax a little bit further. Here's one for you. What's one unusual expense that you can ask to be covered for circusy? You can ask for your, like your snow removal and your house cleaning and things like that, but I have a husband that does these things, so I, I don't need to add that on. Do you prefer a Swedish or deep tissue massage? I prefer deep tissue, and that is also the type of treatment that I give, so we tend to, to fluctuate to the areas in life that we enjoy. Uh, everyone in my clinic currently does deep tissue massage. All right, here's a guessing question for you, Kristen. How many surrogate babies are born per year in Canada? In Canada, I would say 300. Oh, you're close. 400. Okay. Yeah. That's just based on, um, um, yeah, that's, that's a good guess then. Yes. How many other surrogates are you aware of here in the Ottawa Valley? Like a rough estimate? Probably 20. Oh, that's, that's not bad. Yeah, it's a lot. And a lot of it is just that knowing each other in, in a small community and this transient military lifestyle, it tends to be related to each other. Well, you're the only one that I've ever heard of. So that's really great to know that there is 19 more of you out there or more yeah, locally. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Kristen, we're going to wrap it up with one local business you think everyone should know about. Yep. Uh, and I'm going to pair it with what I do. So I love a lot of local businesses, some that are Valley people that have been here forever, others that are transient. But one that actually relates really well to me is a new chiropractor that just moved back to the area. And her name is Dr. Patricia Broom. Uh, Brum, sorry. And she is actually located across the street from me at 5 I Irene Street. Um, the cool part about her is she's new. She's very enthusiastic. She loves people that are not familiar with chiropractics and she likes to introduce them into her line of work. Does a lot of work with pregnancies and she offers acupuncture services, which a lot of people don't have covered. So she is able to cover both categories through her chiropractics fantastic woman. So if people are unsure about what they want to do, she's a wonderful resource for people to tap into. Great shout out, Kristen and Dr. Brum. Welcome to the Ottawa Valley. You can follow her at Brum on Instagram and maybe as well on Facebook. I haven't checked out her clinic yet. Um, all right, but Kristen, tell everybody where they can follow you. Do you have a website? How can people book with you? Give us the scoop. Yeah, sure. Uh, my cell phone is 705-203-0874. Direct line to me, my cell, and that can be for anybody who's interested in surrogacy or massage therapy. I'm open to either. And that's the business number that I normally use. Perfect. And like you said, open seven days a week and you've yes. got lots of availability, which is fantastic. Until December though, I'm going to take that month off. I got a delivery to do, but come January, <laughs> more than welcome to get as many new clients as we, as we can. When is your due date? Uh, December 5. December so I'll be 5. off starting November 21st. So there'll be a lull in productivity for new clients to come in. But again, New Year's, we'll start over again. Any new clients are more than welcome. Perfect. Oh, Kristen. Well, thank you so much again for chatting with me. Really appreciate it. And thank you guys for always tuning in and following along. Be sure to follow us on OB Boss Babes on Instagram, OB Boss Babes podcast on Facebook, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. We will see you next time.